0: of radical self acceptance. My second book. Go check it out at obscuredbook.com for more. You can pick up a copy of Obscured. Safety sucks. You can tune into the new, latest, and greatest podcast that we have. Really. I guess I'll say effing, effing scary stories, really effing scary stories, all over at Pell Horse Media Co. Head over to Pell Horse That's P A L E Horse Co.com for publishing, indie books, podcasts, and more. Hello! Howdy! Hi, everybody! Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, coming to you from the beautiful, the sunny, and the hot, it's still freaking hot, coming to you from the freaking hot Phoenix, Arizona, downtown Phoenix, Arizona, from the Hop Nerd studio. I rant about it because... Our AC just cannot seem to keep up for whatever reason. You cram everybody into this little studio. You got this one little tiny AC unit going. You get all the heat cooking from all this really cool equipment, and the next thing you know, we're baking cookies on the desk here at the Opnerd Studios. It's warm. It's hot, and I know I shouldn't complain. Life is good. Life is great, but I wish it would just cool down. Just, just a touch. Just just a, just a wee bit. I hope that you are doing great wherever you find yourself. Things are going wonderful for us here. Uh, again, I've got a book out. Go check that out. Obscuredbook.com. Uh, and I'm just going to shut up because I uh, I poked you last time and said, you know, go check out all this stuff. But what I'm going to tell you today is to go check out something else that's not mine. I want you to head over and I want you to check out this book, The Practice of Learning teams. So, I'll admit, I'm about a half, three quarters of the way through reading this, and it is a wonderful read. I would dare to include it on the must read list for all of the hop fam out there. So, go check out this book, The Practice of Learning Teams. You're probably saying, well, why is he ranting about this book? It's because we have on the amazing, the great, one of the co-authors of this book, Brent Sutton. And this is an absolutely wonderful conversation. The only problem that I have with this conversation is we need like a few more hours to like really sit down and just dive into it, <laughs> to be completely honest with you. Um, but I guess that's what the book's for. So go pick up the book. So here's, here's you, me, Brent Sutton, hanging out, talking about the practice
1: of learning teams. I have a lot of people sitting there saying, well, what about the how-to? So we understand the what, we understand the why, but what about the how-to? Mm-hmm. And it was this conversation about people not people want tools, but what do tools do and and the whole uh, conversation around the risk of weaponization that we've seen with all forms of systems throughout the history of systems that someone takes a tool they apply the tool in their own way when the tool doesn't work they blame the tool yeah and that's the whole weaponization yeah so I, w- I went away from that and and had some real sort of um, sort of Deep thinking about how could we uh, possibly approach it, and then Todd was coming down to New Zealand uh, a few months later, and um, we we caught up and we did a bit of a bit of a roadshow together, which is always good. And when we talk about roadshow, it's a combination of of eating and talking and mm-hmm. and, and you know visiting different places. Which is you went on a tour,
0: good. is what you did. You went on a tour. tour, yeah,
1: yeah. A tour. like a roadie. <laughs> and 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 I said to Todd, I said, look, I've got this really interesting idea. Why don't, why don't we run a learning team on learning teams? Hmm. Like of all the things that I've seen from this process, uh, learning team stands by itself. Because it's such a powerful mechanism of engaging with workers, getting workers to participate, and, and getting people to see risk in a different, in a different way. Right. Right. So, and I said to Todd, you know, I believe that learning teams can stand by itself. Because typically, you know, when when we come out with new systems, I call them the the bright shiny toy, like the kitten with little, you know, the little thing on the on the on the on yeah. a, a string. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. jumping at it. Everyone jumps at it. Yeah. And just language like safety one, safety two, safe differently. All these things they create divides because of the words that are used. And. When I met up with my, my fellow colleagues, we, we basically said that learning teams could cross all divides. Learning teams is not about having to use this system. And it's a bit of a framework. It's a set of philosophies right. around that. Um, so we thought, right, well, the best way for us to do this is let's run a learning team on learning teams. Now, Todd said it's either going to be the worst thing ever done and a total disaster or it's going to work really, really well. And, and I said to him, nothing to lose. Great. Nothing to yeah. lose. Why yeah. not give it a go? Because this is about a learning experiment. So we, we ran a couple of learning teams, and we created this framework, and the framework became the book. Hmm. And I'm pleased to say that 85% of what we came up with in that learning team is actually what the book is about. Wow. It's so wow. within that structure. That's, now, that made writing the book really, really simple. Okay, because
0: it's now of, we. To say that's kind of nice. At that point, it should just flow, right? You're ready to you're ready to just pour oh, it on cool. the paper and format, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and then and then we had this conversation about how do we want the book to flow? And we basically said, look, we want people to feel like they are part of a conversation. Yeah, and that through that conversation. They gain some new learnings and they get to reflect at different points and they get to sit back and then say, right, this is where I started. This is where I ended. What did I learn from it? So we tried to write it in a very reflective way. And the way that we did that was to basically encourage people to see things through the eyes of others, not through their own eyes. Yeah, and that's awesome. most feedback so far has has been a, about the fact that it's actually an easy read. Yeah, yeah. Well, He's and right. and
0: that's I think to your point that you were making before that that that's a lot of what I hear from leaders, especially when we start talking around. Um, learning teams, human organization, performance, any of these bits and pieces that we're just mentioning. Um, we, I mean, we can rewind back to what you were saying kind of at the beginning was that um, there's a lot of stuff out there kind of on the philosophy of this stuff, but there's not a lot out there on nuts and bolts of how do I actually take this forth into my organization and actually make this stuff work, right? I would say probably the closest thing that uh, I hand off to leaders a lot of times, uh, at least in and around some of the maybe the safety differently space, is probably Decker's field guide right, where I'm like, here you go, you should probably read this, <laughs> right? But there's not too many, quote, field guide-esque books uh, out in the space of what we're talking about, is there?
1: No, and, and, and that is because of this uh, whole issue around weaponization mm-hmm. of tools. Yeah. So our objective yeah. was to purely create a framework. And within those frameworks, we basically said, "Here are some examples of how we've applied these techniques in these frameworks." Yeah, well, and,
0: and that's that's where I find folks kind of directed back towards. Um, I know we're I know we're going down the path of using um, kind of learning learning teams, kind of standalone, and to bridge kind of all these different divides. Um, but that's one place where I find that, I, I, at least I've personally seen, to your point on weaponization, that organizations will take tools of, of any kind a lot of times, right? If they're very prescriptive, as we we're just kind of mentioning, and they'll embed those into their organization without changing much of anything else. Um, and obviously, you immerse those into not so great, you're going to get not so great. Re- results and we you do you end up in that difference. territory of weaponization. And I, I, I'm, I'm having these kind of like instant flashbacks to my days of working in nuclear generation around when human organization, excuse me, human performance, the original kind of human performance tools were rolled out and they were kind of bastardized in the way that we just took some tools and threw them out to the workforce and said, you're responsible for these now. And if something bad happens, we're just going to look at you and say, you should have used the tools better. It. You should have you, you just done that, that two-minute drill harder and you would have just noticed more and then this would have never happened, right? So I, I really appreciate your fact, or the fact that you're bringing up weaponization because I don't think that's a conversation that's been had very much. Um, you're the only person that I've heard use the term weaponization, uh, at least in a more public setting, right? I've heard it tossed around kind of behind the scenes in organizations when we've weaponized this and we've weaponized that. But I, I really appreciate the fact that you're bringing that out and you're calling that out kind of center stage in this, in this piece?
1: Well, because weaponization uh, happens. It just happens. Yeah. And in the book, we actually go to quite a bit of depth talking about why weaponization actually comes about and the fact that as humans, we have the desire to create linear processes sure. to create these steps and, and everything else that sits around that. So, so we really stick into it. And, and, and I actually give a really good example of uh, how root cause has been weaponized that the purpose of root cause, what it was designed to do and how it's being used are two different things. Yeah. yeah. I actually quite like root cause because it's an assurance tool. Mm -hmm. However, when you turn into a checklist tool, you create the environment, you weaponize the environment, which makes it very easy for a person to lead to draw certain conclusions. Right. Now, is that the fault of the person or is that the fault of the system? Yeah. There
0: you go. There you go. And I'm with you. And that's what, that's what we see. um, At least that's, that's what I hear a lot around learning or excuse me around, um, around root cause because to your point, um, I've never been quite the fan of root cause because most of the time, the way that I see it manifest in organizations it's down the path of what we were just talking about. Right. Um, We see a very prescriptive linear process that results in that, right. It results in maybe not so great stuff. You know, it seems like we end up with a lot of corrective actions and not a lot of anything else. Right, and I'll say oh, a lot of, of corrective actions oh. that are, or uh, the way that I like to put it is, we end up aggressively focusing on the wrong things a lot of times as we come out of root cause. Just kind of more traditional post root cause analysis.
1: Oh, absolutely, because because if we if we use it as a checklist, which is effectively how it's being used, that that drives those corrective actions because what it does it makes things um, more visible. Right. For us. Right. Yeah. Um and as humans. Um. It is uh, efficient for us to do. In that way, because it doesn't require lots of thinking. So, so ultimately, part of the process of when we looked at the whole uh, weaponization environment was to basically say that what people lack is they lack uh, critical thinking and reflective skills. Mm. And this is not unique to safety. Uh, th- this has been seen across things like lean for quite some period of time. That, for instance, the Japanese, when they, when they use uh, lean uh, or Toyota in their own environment, um, they have an entire thing around reflective practice. Yeah. When it was brought into America, that reflective practice was pushed right down the very bottom. Right, right. it was all about let's productize. Mm-hmm. By the way, productize and weaponize mean the same thing. <laughs> different, different language. Right, let's right. productize it. Let's push it. Let's give it some really good, interesting names. And and they lost the principles. Yeah. So for us, this whole concept of uh, having a reflective practice is what actually um, uh, tr- allows people to uh, reduce that risk of weaponization, because they get to see how it's applied with, within the scope of others rather than, the, than their own environment. Right. What we've repeatedly um, demonstrated time and time again that uh, a learning team can, can obtain much deeper context around uh, an event than, than anything else has been in the past. Yeah. However, we've also been uh, controversial in the book, Sam, in terms of how Kiwis are controversial, which <laughs> um, to the extent that we've actually introduced the use of root cause in an event-based learning team. Now, when I mention those words, I... I I hear the heretics. I smell the, I can smell the cross being lathered in oil ready for burning. I, all those things are just starting to happen. Yeah, yeah. But what we looked at was the fact that if we looked at the original purpose of root cause, we turned root cause into a reflective question bank rather than as a way of driving process or driving outcomes. And we've run a a huge number of experiments um, down here with groups of people. And and what we found was that uh, a learning team was was really great in terms of creating that narrative as a story, getting people to brainstorm, uh, getting people to share their perspectives. All those things were extremely powerful. But what we found was that there was quite a lot of uh, latent knowledge that a person held. And, And latent knowledge is that uh, unless the group discusses something that I can align with, I'm not going to bring that information out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's no different yeah. to a, a hazard ID. No one can tell you when you've, when you've got it um, completed. There is no checklist to say I've identified every single hazard. Right, right. But the same thing with a learning team, particularly around event management, you're only getting out what people could align with. So what we decided to do was we decided that we'd uh, use root cause in this reflective process for the facilitator. So for the example is that um, uh, th- through, through the review process, we should uh, determine uh, issues around supervision, whether supervision was a factor. Okay? If supervision didn't come up in the conversation of the learning team, then this facilitator is able to ask the group, you know, hey, guys, um, how important is supervision in the situation that you've come up with? And what we found is that we're able to extract another eighteen to twenty-two percent of information that we didn't have before by using root cause as a reflective tool in terms of um, assurance. Yeah. Yeah. Now the facilitator did not follow a list and ask every single question. Sure. Okay. That would weaponize it.
0: Let me let me ask you this because um, cool. this is a this is a piece that comes up for me quite a bit. Um, as we mentioned, facilitation of learning teams. Um, when you get into this into this space of um, choosing, training, ordaining, Phyllis facilitators. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? What do you think that looks like in an organization? You don't have to get overly prescriptive, but what do you what do you what do you feel? Um, uh, the question comes up a lot and uh, the, that's, that's the reason why I bring it up is what do we need to do to make sure that we have quality facilitators? That's a piece that I hear constantly as, oh. as learning teams start to spring up here and start to pop up in organization to organization. And I understand that it could be vastly different for each organization, um, but uh, I'm, I'm asking the SME now.
1: <laughs> what, what, what's your thoughts on facilitators? Yeah. So, so I think fundamentally, um, there's, there's two things. The downside to any form of training is that the person doesn't know what they don't know. Hmm. Therefore, effectively, when they're going on training, it's a form of water torture. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because they're basically being soaked with lots of things and hopefully something sinks in. Yeah. And if it doesn't sink in, they go on more training. One of the key principles of the book was that we actually defined what are the necessary competencies to make someone effective at being a facilitator for learning teams. Mm-hmm. And we identified five core competencies, which were all soft skills. Yeah. You know, communication, collaboration, facilitation, critical thinking, reflection, technical skills. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And what we did was, by describing what we said was, what is good look like? We then allowed people through the book to assess where am I at? Mm. So, now, so now someone say, can say to them, here is my current state of knowledge. Here's where I'm at. Here is where I'm told I need to be. If I understand where I'm at now, where I need to be, now what I'm doing is filling gaps in. Yeah. Which means that when they go on training, it's about filling a gap rather than saying, what am I going to take on board? because they don't know what they don't know. So we've taken a, a very uh, adult education approach to, to this by basically saying, you know, if you want people to aspire to something, to be to be this thing, then you've got to show them what does that look like. And, and we've defined those competencies across three levels. One being a person who is emerging. One is a person who is competent and then one person who has gained mastery of skill. Mm. And there's no expectation that if you've got an organisation of 100 facilitators, you'll have 100 people with mastery of skill. The objective here is that if you want learning teams to become embedded, a certain percentage of your people will need to be able to coach and mentor others in their journey. And for them to do that, they need some skills. At the moment, no one can tell you what those skills are. And and, and a good example is, and it's in the book, I I was doing a piece of work in the the health sector and um, I I had some very traditional health and safety practitioners come along with me and they're sitting there saying, oh, no, you should be using sticky notes. No, no, you should be doing this. No, no, you should be doing that. And I'm saying, how's that relevant? Right. (laughs) Okay. How's it relevant? Yeah, yeah. Because because um, what they were doing is they were they were trying to inform me of how they would approach it, and I asked them the simple question that we're doing brainstorming at the moment. If we ask the participants to use sticky notes, who is the load being placed on? The participant or the facilitator? Right. Right. Okay. Therefore, by putting the load on the participants, are you going to affect their ability to brainstorm? Right. And they sat down, they said, yeah. So I said, well, that's the reason why we don't use sticky notes.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, what we'll do later on is we might use sticky notes to get clarification around things. Because by that stage, we're now asking people to give some structure to that brainstorming. Right now, the load should be on the facilitator. Therefore, if the load's on the facilitator, what skill does the facilitator need to do that? Yeah. And, and that—that's really where, where we came from, was the basically that thing. So, so the objective going forward is to basically that people can see where they're at, where they need to be, and how to progress down that path. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, it's, it's but for, for us, it's not terribly radical. No. But what we're saying is that if we don't do this all these things all these things that we're talking about are ways of how to reduce the risk of weaponization right
0: right that, that's, that's, all- that's 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 huge though for a kind of a more old school corporate stuffy organization right to hear to hear what you just said is a huge epiphany for them <laughs> In a lot of ways, right? <laughs> because the the more traditional approach is to kind of do what you just said. Here's the bucket full of stuff that we want you to know, and we're just going to throw it at you and hope that some of it catches. Right? We're going to hope that you
1: catch it. And if it doesn't, it. we'll blame you and we'll send you exactly. back a more... So
0: yeah. th- that's, a, that's a huge step forward for more, tra- I'll just say, air quotes here, traditional organizations. That's a huge step forward in learning. Because, I mean, I think, I think it's okay to just be honest and say that most organizations are not very great at adult level learning.
1: Well, look, I mean, the problem is training has become a punishment tool. Exactly, yeah. Um, th- therefore, what we talk about is when do those opportunities for learning actually exist? Because if people see training as a punishment tool, then they're not going to be encouraged to do that. Right, right, right. And 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 then the second part of it is that uh, you've got two things. You've got uh, people when they train, they train by telling you, okay, which is command and control, yep. or we'll, I'll use a lovely word we call it heuristic training. Okay, that's that's the academic term. Yeah. You <laughs> used. Or. Uh, and you'll notice that Todd has a new word from us called co-create, okay? <laughs> that that the trainer co-creates with the group their pathway or co-constructs with the group their pathway. Yeah. Yeah. That the trainer's job is to really create that space for the learners to take on board what they need yeah. rather than to, to deliver a piece of training. Here is my lesson plan. Here are the... 10 linear things I have to achieve at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's huge. And that's a huge difference compared to, uh, at least again, what, what we see here stateside quite a bit with most of our organization training has almost become legal more than it is actually training, right? More than it is. Sure. In form of education it's i have a solid lesson plan that i can now hold you to later at some point to say that i taught you something right of it's course. it's become not again it's, it's back to that not so great space where training has become almost it's a punishment it's a corrective action it's a corrective action that is a punishment it's it's, it's all this it's kind of stuff and, that and it shouldn't be
1: right? where's that soak time because right, yeah. we have this motto it's called uh learn do challenge mm. wow. Okay. Take on board new information, uh, do something with it by applying it, and then challenge by reflecting on it and understanding what did it do for me. Yeah. And if we don't do that learn-do challenge, then whatever we've taken on board will get lost yeah. over time. Yeah. Uh, so once again, a very strong, uh, I don't know if you can see it, a very strong reflective practice is what we're trying to um, right. apply yeah. to people.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah. In actual fact, one of the hardest things we, we had to overcome with the book was that as we wrote the book and we look back to the book, we want to make changes because of what we'd learned through the creative writing of the book. Yeah. Wow. Which, which, as you know, would become Pleasantly annoying. Evil. Yes, a very, very evil place. Yeah. <laughs> very pleasant evil. annoyance, right? That you had. <laughs> so in the end, we said no, because what we want to do is we want the person reading the book to actually see that progression wow. happened over that time. Yeah. yeah. And how I uh, do a learning team today and how I did a learning team a year ago is completely different. Right. And how I do a learning team in a year's time will be different sure. as, as, as well. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, we, we then introduced the second um, heresy of, of, of learning teams, which was to basically say that um, – It needs to move away from being event-based, that it needs to focus on every day Mm -hmm. and uh, what we call uh, management of change. And of course, that caused a lot of uh, um, uh, issues for people because they're basically saying, "How, how how can we run a learning team every day? Because these learning teams, these things that we do, these, these sessions that we do, we get a, we get a whole lot of people to get a whole lot of resource together, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're saying, no, that's not the objective. So the objective is, like anything else, that when you're on a learning team as, as a, uh, an event-based situation, the stories that people are sharing with you, that this gap between, you know, work is imagined versus work is done, is an accumulation of micro changes. Mm. The learning team is seeing what we call the macro change—the accumulation of a whole raft of changes.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, everyday learning teams is simply about um, gathering intelligence. It's about gathering organizational intelligence to understand where that little micro learning is happening. Yeah, because. Um, you know the, the the language operational learning is used within Hop and and you know these types of environments. Right. But we ask ourselves, what, what does that what does really mean? Because I agree that every time I I do a job or or I or interface with a hazard, there is some learning. Yeah. But is that learning incidental, or is it learning deliberate?
0: Mm. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Okay. So operational learning is incidental. Everyday learning teams are about deliberate learning. Yeah, and I like that.
0: That's, that's one thing that I will say. Um, I continue to have this conversation with a lot of folks about moving towards even just learning from our successes, right? I mean, we, that, that's something that we missed the boat on constantly, right? Kind even not, not, not even necessarily going on the path of daily learning, um, but I, I love that. But even just getting beyond just using them as an, a post-event tool, right? It's, because to, to, to that point, exactly, right? Sure, if we have something uh, the, for us, we like to throw out, we like to go around and ask this question, you know, what sucks in the work, right? And that's probably a good spot to start a good conversation or even conduct a learning team around what's harder than it should be right? What doesn't make sense? Um, but even going out and get an understanding that in, or, in our organizations, um, I'm, I work in the utility space, and we sure. get things right 99.9% of the time, right? I mean, it, th- things are going phenomenally well the vast majority of the time. And kind of to your point is how do we tune into those, those small little changes that, that, are, that are continually accumulating, as you mentioned? How do we tune into those pieces? So I guess that'd be the question is, how would you then go about, doing a daily learning team? Because for me, you know, I, I can go out and I can pick out uh, something that uh, is an interesting success, right? I can, I can go out and I can kind of put my finger on something that, that's not so great, right? I can go out and ask somebody that question and say, this clunky process, what's the most horrible part about that? And I can kind of put a finger on that and we can, we can kind of move forward. How do you do that in, in a daily uh, kind of day-to-day situation? Okay,
1: absolutely, and and, and uh, I think Todd said that's actually the holy grail.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, I just ask you a really a really important question. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we don't have the answers in the book. What we do is that we show people different ways of approaching it. Right. So so let's step through some of those because that, that's quite fascinating from my point of view. Um, the, the first thing, and you mentioned earlier that we're asking people, we're asking workers, you know, where where they're, um, you know. The, the things that trouble them, okay, things that happen. Yeah. Well, well, the first thing is that's actually requiring them to make judgment. Right. We're asking them to determine what is right and wrong. Mm. And that's the first thing we shouldn't be doing. Right, right, right. Okay? Because gathering intelligence is actually about gathering information, not gathering um, emotion or opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Gathering, yeah. it's gathering data. Yeah. So, for example, um, and one that we've been using really well in the construction space is a really good example where, you know, the hazards are well-known, but risk is dynamic. Mm -hmm. And that risk changes through the day. The hazard is still there. The way the hazard can hurt you doesn't change, but the risk is always changing around that. So a good example of that is that uh, typically organisations would have some type of pre-start, that have some sort of pre-risk component. Mm-hmm. That pre-risk component would be very much follow the checklist. Uh, let, let's regurgitate the same stuff every single day, ask people to point out the obvious. What hazards are going to kill you? Well, it's the same hazard from yesterday that could kill me. What's actually changed? Yeah. So, so the first thing is to, to shift that checklist away and turn it into more of a learning team approach where we ask people to describe to us not only what can kill you, what are the stickies, as Todd would say, and I, I like the term sticky. Yep,
0: yeah. Uh, but more
1: importantly, how can it kill you? Mm. So it's exploring the context.
0: Yeah.
1: And why can it kill you? Mm. So not the what, and checklists are very much what-based, yeah. but having a conversation about the how and the why. And that happens with the very, uh, what happens with that group context. And we're talking, we're talking maybe six to eight minutes, maybe 10 minutes at most. Yeah. yeah. And during that conversation, you'll see that other workers are looking, they're tilting their head. They're being curious because mm-hmm. they're hearing some things about that, that hazard they hadn't heard before right. because you're getting the shared experience going on.
0: Yeah, and I, I find that really interesting because you see that with um, those those kind of pre-task uh, in our in my world a lot of times it's referred to as pre-job briefings, pre-task briefings, pre-task hazard something some acronym that some companies come up with something dumb you know there's all kinds of stupid stupid words that we come up for it from company to company to company um, but as you said they've almost um, devolved into this. Just a, this this very simplistic check sheet. Well, it's it's not simplistic, it's it's super long, actually. You most companies at some point, through corrective action, through all this other stuff. We've ended up with a 14-page pre-start document that, that that covers practically everything. And we, again, back to, we'll go back to a little bit of weaponization post-event. It's used as a tool to blame employees a lot of times where we'll say, well, see, you missed that that, that box. If you would have checked that, this event would have never happened because that, that's what it was related to. So I, I really love your point that, that with kind of opening up this conversation um, to to Sticky, because a lot of the conversation that I have um, with frontline employees here and there and everywhere, especially in and around that particular subject, is that. It's burn the, burn the tick and flick check sheet. Just, just, just get rid of it. Like, just let me drag it out and burn the thing and let me talk about the stuff that kills us. That's what I hear from leaders constantly. Because a lot of times it almost seems like the check sheet leads folks down the wrong path. Uh, And when I I say that, I mean that it really almost muddies the waters to where we just don't really focus on the stuff that's really important. We focus on the stuff that hurts us and not necessarily the stuff that
1: kills us. We'd probably advocate something a little bit different view, Sam. We'd probably advocate Mm -hmm. a little different view. And that we're saying is that, that that document, that form, whatever it is, yeah. Is an assurance tool for the organisation, right. right? Okay, it is not an assurance tool for the worker, right? There you go. It's yeah. There's no purpose at the sharp end of the stick, and and when we talk to organisations, the first thing we, I ask them, which might be quite profound, is I ask them, "What is the purpose of that checklist, or that form, or that pre-start, that job task? What is its purpose?"
0: Yeah.
1: And the normal response is, "It's obvious." I said, "Well, look, just just treat me um, that you know um, that I know very little. So explain to me what, what's the purpose?" And the reality is, they can't. They can't explain its purpose. Yeah, or or, or they give you some make believe answer that. <laughs> oh, wh- whatever! <laughs> yeah. you just can't tell what the purpose is. So so yeah. the thing is, if if they can't, if, if the form because the form itself should be able to tell the purpose to someone automatically. Yeah. Okay. And if it can't, then why would you want to engage with it? Right. The the second part, and and this is the bit that I always ask of them, is of all these things that you have here, what are the things that could cause stickies? And what do you want the worker to do? Yeah. So which of these things is safety critical? Mm. And at what point, what do you want the worker to do? Do you want the worker to stop? Yeah. So if that's the purpose of doing this, then they need to know what those things are. Mm. Now, you can have the other uh, 10 pages of bullshit if you want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but the fact is you're not going to get a lot of meaningful information from that. And I was just doing one uh, recently following a, a, a fatality um, involving some mobile plant. And, and they were they were reviewing uh, their um, pre start for for that mobile machinery, and I said, "Of all these things here, what, what, what's safety critical?" And, and they were telling me, "Oh, you know, making sure that it's got the flashing beacon." I said, "How does the beacon stop someone being run over?" Yeah. I said, and they said, "Oh no, what about um, things like oil leaks?" And I'm saying, "Well, how does the oil leak?" I said, "You know, like for me." Breaks, no breaks. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a stop.
0: Yeah,
1: the thing having no oil. Yeah, yeah. is a stop. Okay, yeah. but but the oil leaks and the beacon aren't relevant. Yeah. Well, now, how, how how much of this?
0: Um, how much of this do you think is, is kind of organizations going this down this path of trying to lump all this stuff together? Again, I think that there's there's something to be said about breaking those two things apart, right? Um, we find ourselves in this territory where organizations kind of treat everything as the same, right? But as we kind of mentioned, the stuff that, that, that hurts us is usually not the stuff that kills us with
1: frequency, right? Look, absolutely. There's, there's no connection between the two. right? Uh, and, and look, I, uh, when I teach the diploma in safety, um, the first thing I do is I basically have to deconstruct people and I get a horrible wrath of emotions from people. It's hard; um, they, they don't want to let go. Yeah, I, I bring out Heinrich's <laughs> pyramid and I set fire to it. Um, so,
0: I, I hope you mean. I hope you mean you act. You literally set fire to it. That'd be amazing because I'm signing up for whatever
1: whatever class this is. If, if that's what's happening, <laughs> people need to see things in different ways. Um, and, and it's interesting that the, the stickies that the things that really kill you are all well known, and and the controls them are well known. And I'm yet, in, in the 18 years that I've been specializing in human misery, as I call it, because yeah, I specialize in fatality events mainly, mm-hmm. major harm and fatals, I don't do slip trips and falls, I have no interest, right. okay, it has to be loss of a limb, um, we have a new term here now, we call them life-changing events, Yeah. yeah. okay, so being killed is life-changing, yeah, Absolutely. in that way, yeah. it's the ultimate life-changing event,
0: yeah,
1: Um. I am yet to see a new hazard that has caused a life-changing event. Mm. All the things that cause it are well-known and the controls are well-known in that space. But ultimately, what it comes down to is it comes back to the workers' view of risk. And what we've been finding is that workers... Um, are lacking those critical thinking and reflective skills, and that is because the systems that we use don't ask us to apply those skills anymore. Mm. Wow. Uh, you know, a good example, uh, you know, uh, human factors and behavioural safety talk about you design the system to get the behaviours that you want. Uh, that basically means that you've removed thinking from the process. Now, I'm probably getting a whole lot of hate mail. So, what's your email address, Sam? I can send it to you. So,
0: yeah, it's it's out there. It's on everything. So you can glad. I'll I'll gladly, yeah, yeah, send it this way. (laughs) Um, So we're asking
1: people not to think in that way.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's fine where the hazard is fixed, and it's and the risk is not dynamic. It's not fine when the risk is totally variable. Which is what you see in high-risk industries like construction, forestry, all those things where there's yeah. this constant environmental change going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, what does that mean? Well, what critical thinking skills basically mean is that I have a deeper understanding of the why rather than the what. So we talk about you know when when is a worker competent around around their job they're doing and, and what we say is when the worker can explain to me the underpinning reasons why they do it this way. There's no different. If I, if I see an organisation where they're highly reliant on uh, things like hearing protection and high-vis, I simply ask the worker, what's the purpose of wearing hearing protection? Yeah. And if their response is because the sign says that or the boss tells me, that means they have no underpinning knowledge about it. And yeah.
0: Well, and I, I, can, I can speak to that pretty, pretty vividly with um, my chosen industry and, and power generation and utility space. Um, we kind of, uh, and I've had this conversation with others, we, we often hobble our prized horses, so to speak, because we take folks and we put them through years and years and years of apprenticeship. Right, we we test them and test them and test them in every kind of way that you can imagine. We give them all these bits and pieces of of, of kind of exactly where we're going of giving them the or pushing them in the direction of being um, thinking and engaged and 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 exactly that. Right, we're 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 putting them through this however many long year print the apprenticeship is for whatever. Right, and then all of a sudden we bring them into the organization and we go forget all of that. Here's the rules. Follow the rules, and it's that simple. And yep. it, it leads to exactly what you were just saying. Um, we, we just end up in, we, we end up promoting and perpetuating this system in which it's just mindless rule followers than critical thinkers a lot of times, it seems. Yeah.
1: But organizations, um, uh, in hindsight, they say, why couldn't the worker see that situation changing? Yeah.
0: yeah. It okay, makes complete what, sense after, could the, after the fact. <laughs> yeah.
1: Why couldn't they see the, the error coming? And yeah. yeah. our argument is simple. Um no one can train you in every potential scenario of how shit happens. Okay? It's just not possible.
0: No. Well, and the fact of the matter is to me is that everything makes total sense until it suddenly doesn't. Of course. Right? As, when you're the worker, everything but, makes complete and total yeah. sense un- until it suddenly doesn't. Uh, and kind as of you, as you said, um, if there was any inclination that, uh, you know, X and Y would lead to this, I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't. I
1: just absolutely wouldn't do it. (laughs) uh, We're experts in hindsight, okay? And safety people are the most amazing experts in hindsight and and counterfactual arguing. (laughs) Uh, We are poor in foreseeing, and I've got a fourteen-year-old daughter. I know you've got your, your, your young daughter as well. Yep, yep. she'll My be six in, six in September.
0: So I, yeah. I, I, but before we even go any farther, I can't imagine what 14 is like. So I don't even want to
1: think about it. So I'm feral. mad at you for even saying that.
0: Completely
1: <laughs> feral. feral. Okay. And uh, when it comes to risk management, um, set aside the likelihood of, of her being feral. Right. Get rid of likelihood. Focus purely on consequence. Okay, that's that's my that's my advice to you. Right. <laughs> Focus on consequence, right? right. Because, because the chance of it, of the person being feral is just no longer relevant in this <laughs> So, so because we're very poor at foreseeing, but great in hindsight, some of the work that we've been looking at is the fact that if workers have these critical thinking skills. That what they're able to see is they're able to see when the situation shifts away from its normal state, a mm-hmm. state that they would expect because of their ability to reflect and think about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And by them seeing it shift away from their from its normal state, they can now stand back and ask themselves why. That, that's the bit that we get. And if you look at people in, in your old sector, look at people in, in linesmen, look at that. Mm-hmm. They have really good honed critical thinking skills. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, fire, fire service is a great example. Yeah. Really good critical thinking skills um, in that space. So... Yeah, it, it,
0: it's amazing to me, as you kind of mentioned, you, you bring a blind cruise and a certain utility cruise. It's amazing to me um, when you really sit back and watch the art of that occur, right? And you see, as you mentioned, everything moving and just shifting from all directions and risk all over the place. And especially when you're talking about dealing with the general public, <laughs> right? And we can kind of back, kind of back to work as imagined. Um, you often have a planner in an office somewhere that plans a job for crews to go out and do, uh, and it's this perfect, beautiful Phoenician day, right? It's 70 degrees and not a cloud in the sky and everything's fine. And then when the crews actually arrived to set a pole or to do this or that, you know, there was no idea that there would be a parent teacher conference going on at the school across the street. Now there's hundreds of people everywhere. There's an alley that's half the size that it was supposed to be. It's this insane, this this insane mess uh, of chaos, right? Uh, in, which, in which people feel their way through. And as you said, these folks are really, really, really good. Uh, they, they, they've they honed those skills in. They're really good at not dying. <laughs> They're actually really the good
1: at it. They only risk assess what they can see. Right. Right. And work as imagined as a risk assessment of what they would expect right. to see in normal work.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So people with that critical thinking or effective skills are able to assess what they can see and they don't, go any further than that yeah they are doing what we call rolling risk assessments um, in that way so if we take that back so so that's a skill that you don't need to be trained in that is a skill that you can develop through a repetitive process Mm. so the concept of an everyday learning team is to actually build that skill through that repetitive process So the example is um, at at the pre-risk end of of the day, you're getting that deeper context about the the stickies and the why. And then towards the end of the day, and I always recommend not, not, you know, where the whistle goes off and everyone wants to bugger off and, you know, go home. So the last break of the day, you get the group together and you ask them a very simple question. Okay. This is how we planned our work this morning. Share with me where do we have to make do today? Okay, Don't tell me what went right and what went wrong. Simply share with me where do we have to make do? Because it's the making do, we call those the rubs, it's the making do where we get to see the dynamic nature of risk actually appearing.
0: Right. And you're creating an actual feedback loop at that point, right? I mean, you're that is
1: correct. You're feeding back into the process. Yeah. And if we can capture those make dos, then we can feed that back into the next session. Yeah. But what's happening is that when I'm asking someone to um, make do, what they're doing is in their head, they're comparing what I expected at the beginning of the day Mm -hmm. and how the day panned out. Yeah. That is reflective. And critical thinking make makes sense. So it's just, yeah, yeah. it's constant loop. Yeah, so it's no yeah. so different. Um, you know, uh, when you when you wake up in the morning, some people fall out of bed. Some people have a function of actually getting out of bed. All of us are different.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and we have some form of structure that we use. Right. It doesn't matter what it is. Okay. For some of us, it might seem horrific. For others, it might seem, you know, really <laughs> formal. Right. But we have a structure. But at some point during that process, you're actually contemplating, how's my day going to look? Hmm. How many people actually, at the end of the day, sit down and compare what they plan with reality? Right, right. And how often is your planned day and your real day ever the same? Right, yeah, yeah. And the answer is never, unless you're in a coma. right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me let me ask
0: you this because I, I know we're I know we're pushing towards the end of our time here. Um, I usually ask folks this question: that's uh, any final or last words. But I, I won't I won't throw that one on you. Uh, but I'll, I'll I'll throw this on you um, for organizations that are starting down this path or want to start down the path of learning teams. Um, number one, by the book, I will tell them that number number one they should buy the book. Um, but what else should they do other than buy the book? If you had to give a couple kind of little bits or pro tips to organizations that were wanting to, they're, they're, they're just getting ready to stick their toes in the water. They kind of know what a learning team is. And they're they're to that point of scratching their head going, okay, how do we actually start doing this now? What what would you say to those organizations? Uh, 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 probably a
1: couple of things. Um, first of all, trying out a learning team can be no worse than where you're currently at. No one is going to get killed by running a learning team. Yeah. Okay, learning teams don't introduce any more risk. The second thing um, we talk to organisations about is where do opportunities for learning exist? And when you're looking for an opportunity for learning, we always ask the question, is that what can workers learn from that, and what can the organisation learn? Mm. Things like investigations and observations are a form of intervention. I don't know what a worker can learn from an intervention. Yeah. Learning can only come from an organisational point of view. So the one big thing that learning teams do is that they actually provide both worker learning and organisational learning and they're quite different. Mm. The workers take from it and what the organisation is completely different. Yeah. So when we, when we look to organisations, we say, when you run a learning team, all we want you to focus on were the difference of the learnings between the people and the organisation. And we, we talk quite a bit in the book around around that and around this notion of rather than interventions around this notion of gathering intelligence. And very early on, um, I I sent two two things through to Todd very early on through the book, the development of the book. One was we defined five key principles for learning teams. Because we basically said if you don't define principles, things get weaponized. So that's the first thing, define five key things. The second thing is I basically said, Todd, that we are going to develop some metrics for learning teams. Now, the first thing is the metric is not a measurement tool. The metric is a monitoring tool. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of being able to gather intelligence to our organisations to see when there are patterns emerging and that they can then come in and run a learning team to get a deeper dive or a deeper understanding of that macro change. Does it make sense? It so it's does. Yeah. Those micro changes coming up to a macro change. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, that, uh, there was a lot of reflection from all of us over that process because um, metrics are sometimes a dirty word. We're saying metric is a monitoring, not a measurement tool. I like it, So we give some really good examples uh, of that in the book. We, so, so what's really interesting is that we're providing a whole lot of intellectual property uh, for people to make use of. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's yeah. what it comes down to. And uh, I, I remember Jay saying to me, well, aren't your competitors going to steal that? And I said, well, well t- two things. A, they should have brought the book. Okay. Right. And at 39 dollars I can tell you that, compared to a training course, it's bloody cheap. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. but, but secondly, we have published a body of work that can never be taken away from us. No, yeah. Exactly. But I expect people to take that body of work and then adapt it and potentially claim it as their own later on.
0: Well, and I, th- I think the important part to me when when I see work such as yours, I don't know, when I see books such as this, is that as you said, people are going to take it, they're going to adapt it, they're going to grow it. Uh, in some ways, they might make it better, and they, they, they might they might continue to evolve this towards where we're going. And for me, it's that it's that it's that constant pursuit of betterment, and and that's where uh, I even start. Uh, kind of mentioned at the beginning i shy away from even using the terms hopper safety differently and that's funny coming from the guy that has the show called the hop nerd but I, yeah. I, I i to your point i kind of shy away from all those things because we get so bogged down in this kind of battle between this and that and the other uh and uh, it's just not doesn't seem very helpful but that's a whole other side rant but but it's not oh, about four it's, 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 it's about the, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's that, it's that constant evolution. It's where we're trying to go, right? We're trying to continually seek betterment and that's, that's kind of it. Right. So I, I love, I love your thoughts on it. I really do. I, I really appreciate your, your viewpoint on it. That's cool.
1: Yeah. And let interesting because there were three of us that wrote the book, which yes. by itself Todd said would never ever work. <laughs> Okay, yeah, right,
0: right. I couldn't imagine. I'm sorry. So I'll, I'll pause there and say I couldn't imagine trying to work with two other people to write a book; it'd be insane. <laughs> and, and and
1: um, we were still fond of each other at the end that's of the book.
0: That's what I was going to ask Nest: are, yeah, are you ready, ready to get in like a cage fight or something after after you're done? Well, it? <laughs> um, maybe pay
1: per view. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the, the I think what we came, what we said was that we were going to write three books. So the first one was the practice. The second book was the field guide. And the third book was the mastery. And that is because they were evolutions of each other in that process. Um, What we've recently decided to do is that we're actually going to publish, probably about six months from now, a supplement Mm -hmm. to the book. Uh, Because we've been doing a lot of work around a coaching and mentoring model because for learning teams to stick, people need to be able to have coaching and mentoring. So we've been working on a mentoring model for, for, for learning teams to, to do that. Because all, all these things, all these systems, they all wane. And uh, like, like everything else, um, you know, when Japanese look at applying a system, they look at over 10, 15, 20-year period of time. When, uh, when European countries or North American countries apply it, they're looking at a one to three-year period of time. If that. <laughs> yeah. We're going right. week to week here. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> but but we see it as an evolution. It's, a, it's about that evolution. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. uh, and and what's interesting so far is obviously we've had a lot of positive feedback. Uh we haven't had any negative feedback, but I'm actually wanting sure. We want people to hear because um it, it is purely a body of work for people to take up take the concepts, apply the concepts, reflect on the concepts, and improve on the concepts. The ones that are interesting in the industry are the ones that remain silent. Mm. And I always ask myself, why are they silent?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let let me say this. Let me say this, because we've talked a lot about the book but we haven't talked about where folks can get the book. So that seems like a really important, important thing. So how can
1: folks get a copy of the book? Where, where's it? Uh, where's this thing for sale at? Sure. so um, obviously everything's on Amazon mm-hmm. um, available, both in uh, printed edition and also in Kindle and currently working with Jay on the audible version. Awesome. Uh, That's yeah. We've, we've, well, once again, uh, interesting conversation. Uh, we want it to be our individual voices, And, and obviously Todd, the Ford, so we want Todd to give his voice for the Ford. Yeah. Um, We want people to get used to the Kiwi accents or the Australian accents. So that's the first
0: thing. Well, and can I, can I just say, I really appreciate that because there's nothing worse than getting an audiobook and it's not narrated by the author, right? It would, it just, it just never sits well with me for whatever reason. There's my, there's my pet peeve for the day. I just love when it when it it's book. in the author's when it's in the author's yeah. words, right? So w- what you're describing sounds absolutely amazing. Just 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 put whatever price you want on that uh, on that audiobook, Take my
1: money. I'll pay whatever for it. It sounds great. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> but we wanted to be authentic. Yeah, because yeah. you know I had Alec Baldwin lined up. I had Brad Pitt lined up. Yeah, I had all course. these people lined right, up because right, they're not doing right, much right, of them. Are. Right, right. <laughs> we wanted to be authentic and. Uh, And even now, you know, I'll apologize to the listeners because um, we talk quite fast normally. So we've been trying to slow down how we talk. Right, right. And as a result, uh, I've been trying to get some training on how to stop bringing other words into the conversation because I'm trying to slow down. Yeah. If there's been one or two more ums than normal, it's simply because my brain and my voice can't match up. And yeah. Speed at the moment. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm told there's some other things I can take that would slow me down, but I, I, I try and lead a clean life. Keep, keep it kind of natural, right? <laughs> <I try> to- <laughs> and if I touched um, um, Red Bull or any form of energy drink, I'd be at the opposite end.
0: Well, that's the like. I'm, I have to. Cons- uh, you, you can see there's like coffee and empty coffees everywhere. It's it's just my life. I've just accepted it for what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and let me, ahead. let me, let me ask this too, before we, before we wrap up here. Um, how can folks, uh, f- other than the book, how can folks reach you? How can folks find you? Do you have websites, all that kind of stuff? I, yeah, I know so you're obviously so, on LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So look, we, we are on LinkedIn, but we've also got a website called uh, uh, learningteamsbook.com. So learningteamsbook.com. And on that website are some free resources as well. well so yeah, no. I'll make sure to link the- all that stuff in the show yeah. notes as well. People can download that and do that. Uh, for those people that, that live in the Australian and New Zealand market, they can order th- that book locally from us as well. Um, uh, I received my first batch of author books yesterday. Um, 16 days it took. Yeah. Uh, went yeah. through different uh, isolation facilities with COVID-19. It's a blast, isn't it? <laughs> um, So we want to provide that, but obviously Kindle direct from from Amazon, but for those local people, they can get it from us. And uh, they have obviously, once again, I'll I'll hold the book up. We have to apologize. It's um, six by nine and all the spelling's American. (laughs) (laughs) The way was our hardest thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 what do you think about that one? I think I know the answer. Like it, love it, got to have it. I can speak for myself and say that this one was all three. I loved it. This was awesome to get to chat with Brent, uh, just full of awesome, awesome knowledge and wisdom around learning teams. And I will tell you right now, stop what you're doing. Well, I I guess you're about to stop this podcast anyways. It's almost over. You've got like maybe 60 seconds left at the most. Um, But when this is over, when this 60 seconds is over, head over and pick up this book. Uh, As he mentioned, uh, if you're in the Australian, New Zealand market, you can order the book directly from them. Go check it out on Amazon. If you're here stateside, I assume, and probably everywhere else, go check it out. I'm about three quarters of the way, half of the way through it, uh, and it is super good. I'm already pointing everyone in the direction of this book to talk about learning teams. It's a really, 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 really great read, and I'm already excited to try to uh, pull together all three of these authors that put this book together and have a conversation as one big group how much fun would that be so hopefully sometime in the near future but that's all i've got check out the book go check out brent go check out all the stuff that they have going on and i'm out of here i'm gone (gasps) bye everybody bye The Hop Nerd Podcast is brought to you by Hop University. Head on over to hopuniversity.org. That's hopuniversity.org. We offer on-demand and in-person hop training, speaking engagements, one-on-one coaching for safety professionals, and consultation to organizations for all things safety better. Again, head over to hopuniversity.org.